0: I would say they're geniuses at structured selling through algorithmic reference and referral and traffic to product. But to your point, copywriting photography and the nuances of what you might consider person to person, maybe as that's where you have a standout opportunity as a, Hey folks, this is Michael Vizi from
1: Amazing FBA Podcast for Amazon Sellers. I'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast The E-commerce Leader, which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers. In this deep dive episode, Jason Miles and I deep dive into a key e-commerce topic. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey there folks, welcome back to the E-commerce Leader podcast. Uh, Today we are right in the middle of the thick of things. (laughs) So we have three episodes devoted to the 12 principles of private label product development. This is a big old area. It's not something that I felt able to address with any integrity and any truth in a simple sort of one or or even two episode small one. It's quite a lot to absorb, but I think you'll find it very valuable and certainly thought provoking. If you haven't caught it, do catch the first of these three episodes that belong together as a set, uh, where we covered the first four principles. Number one, zig when they zag. Number two, find the money, uh, find the gap, I should say, sorry, add value or lose money. Number three, anticipate trends or skate where the puck is going. And number four, pick a fight you can win or find your unfair advantage or competitive advantage. So the next few principles five through eight are identifying your PAP, love the problem, talk to people and listen. Uh, Always a good thing to do. Number seven, which is understand search intent and number eight, integrate savvy sourcing. If you don't know what that all means, well, you better listen to the podcast and find out. Happy listening.
0: So let's go on to principle number five. What's that one? So that's just to make
1: it a bit more mysterious. Identify your PAP. So uh, obviously the PAP has to stand for something. So that's the person and the pain, who's shopping and why. Now this is not um, anything new to anyone in direct response marketing of any kind. It's probably a principle that's applied more or less for decades, maybe even a century or more in America. But Mm -hmm. on Amazon, it's very unobvious to a third party seller who is buying and why now amazon gets lots of data but they do not share it with us on if you take the traditional response where you or a strategy you pick a product by looking at keywords on amazon then you're completely missing that piece of the puzzle because you have no idea literally no idea who is typing in the keywords you can see the keyword search volume you can see that the sales that are related to those keywords yeah. but it doesn't tell you anything so there's a kind of ghost in the machine which is the person sh- shopping and i want to know why they're shopping so that's really critical particularly if you want to compete with the big chinese factories that are really big in amazon usa and even worse than amazon uk now you have to really differentiate your products by understanding the
0: customer so you need to know who it is and what's motivating them Mm -hmm. i love that one and it's so true and i think you can do this work with a logical approach to it almost like a scientific approach who is buying the product what are their use cases And the interesting part why this is difficult is frequently people will buy the same exact product for different reasons. One person's focused on the performance attributes of the product, like how effective it is. The other person is just focused on some other attribute. Like maybe one of the key function or key attributes that's just a, a core thing that you think oh it's obvious that's all the products out there have the same exact thing. Other customers might be focused on some attribute of your packaging or your copywriting that's really triggered something in their mind. So the benefits that your product delivers will have unique people who gravitate towards them, and that's really I think the piece that you want to sort out and think through is what is the pain that they're trying to resolve and. All of the intrigue and interest that goes into learning about that, I think is important to understand how frequently do they have the problem? How intense is the problem? Um, Trying to solve people's problems that doesn't have an intensity to it, where they're really not that passionate about solving the problem, is a hard place to make products. But if you can find people who have a real strong conviction about needing a solution and they need it frequently, then it's a great opportunity, I think, to iterate and create new ideas.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. That that brings me to the Perry Marshall quote, which is sell to the person with a bleeding mm. neck, which is a rather a harsh <laughs> image. But yeah, the intensity of the pain is a really yeah. important point you put your finger yeah. on. That's why I guess that something aspirin um, or, or any kind of headache drug is a huge industry because headache mm. is an intense and frequent problem, yeah. sadly for a lot of people. I think also the word you use that I think is critical is the word use case, because that's a little bit different from a pain. It's it's related. But for example, it could be why uh in what physical situation? people find themselves in so it gives a bit of context to a problem mm-hmm. as well and again context is even harder to get on amazon you can get so people say things about a product for example like this worked really well when i used it with my husband for this purpose but the purpose doesn't tell you the context you don't know who the person is what their age is they're married because they mention a husband sometimes you do get use cases in the, the 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 what do you call it reviews is what i'm trying to say yeah <laughs> Amazon yeah, yeah, reviews, yeah. and uh, obviously that can be useful i sold something for years as a an orchestral light. So to use in a, a pit or an orchestra or whatever, musicians, and a lot of people bought it as a reading light specifically. So they didn't wake their partner up at, light, at night. And a lot of people left that in the reviews. I didn't get round to it because there were issues, but I was going to create another type of products for a different market, which is basically the same products, but with a slightly different sort of mm-hmm. emphasis. So the use case thing is really important. I think that's a very good, important point. Yeah, ab- raised. absolutely.
0: Love that. Okay. Let's keep going. What is principle number six? Talk to us about that one.
1: Okay, so principle number six is related to the previous one, which is love the problem, which is a, a quote I heard from uh, a management consultant in this kind of space. Can't remember who he was, but I thought it was a good phrase. And another way of saying that is talk to real people and listen to them. So this is part one of listening to people, if you like. There's a part two down the line. And as one of the other principles. And I think it's really this, the solution to how do I deal with this Amazon space where I get almost no demographic detail, yeah. no, no knowledge of who's shopping, go and talk to people. And they may or may not be the exact people who buy your stuff. And there's a sort of iterative process where you can, if you've got a lot of people on your list, you could just give it to a list broker if you've sold a lot of stuff on Amazon already and go and find out, get them to do some deep dive analysis. And that's what Jason Boyce did of Avenue 7.0 media and uh, he found out that there are actual people buying their products were completely different to the people they thought they were buying them and this is a nearly like a nine million dollar a year business you can go quite far wrong and still make some success but you're going to go much better much quicker if you do understand that for me the simple version is go and find people in the obvious easy places facebook groups these days and find people if you're starting out fresh into a market go talk to at least 10 people about what you think is the problem and what you think they're looking for and check what they're actually looking for and what are these use cases for the products that you think they are and, and just check
0: with somebody outside of your head that might potentially buy your product yeah, I love this. One of the just uh, insider tips on this one is d- use surveys and tools to get feedback. One of the things that we've done for years for uh, Pixie Fair is we do a 12 Days of Christmas contest giveaway twelve for 12 days, different items. And all of it is designed as a, a comment contest. And the comments that we ask them to leave are answers to specific questions. And so, what we've done is, over years now, collected insights and information from our audience. I think uh, last year, the year before, we had 24,000 blog comments in the 12 days. So, if you really want to learn about the problems and love the problems, you've got to get outside your own head. You've got to get more than just your opinion, especially if it's not really you that you're serving. I mean, if if there's any if you're not a core user of the product, and survey work can be one of the ways that you do that. We've got blog articles on how we did that 12 Days of Christmas blogging contest stuff. But I think that's a key piece of this is using effective tools, SurveyMonkey, Daddy, just blog contests structured like that, I think are a key part of really starting to understand what is it that's happening that these people are trying to solve and and how I'm weaving it together with a product to make them happier and more successful in their life. I think that's a key yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's, that's really important. A couple of things I want to pick up on what you just said, all those things you must get outside of your head, get more than your opinion, especially if you're not a core user of a product so critical and so easy to skip because there's so much to do when you're developing a a new product and mind a new business so easy to skip that bit but it really (laughs) is the biggest problem in the world actually and the second thing is as you've implied okay your business model is different with shopify than with amazon and it can combine the two to a degree but what i would say to anyone amazon seller Quotes unquote in in the 21st century, I guess in the 21st year of this century or going into 2021 is this, you cannot afford to only get your information from within the Amazon sphere. Uh It's really important to get outside and Mm -hmm. having a blog, even if you make very few sales there, but you gather Mm -hmm. a lot of information is really critical because Google Analytics can give you some kind of demographic information. It's not as good as a conversation, but it gives you that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think that selling specifically on Amazon, but informing yourself outside Amazon is a very powerful combination. And it can be a Facebook group. It doesn't have to be an architecture you own, like a a website, although it's probably advisable ultimately, but any or all of the above is really gives you a a chance to find who is buying. And Facebook is an amazing place for demographics because Facebook about the who, isn't it? And I guess Amazon's about what do people buy? Facebook's about what do people like, who is buying? And they're amazing at that kind of targeting. So that is probably something else that's got to come out of this is get off
0: Amazon to find out who buys on Amazon, really. I think it's one of the most secret and not obvious competitive advantages yes, that it we all can implement in our space is just learning mm-hmm. more about what customers want through yeah. aggressive and strategic polling, surveys, conversations, feedback. It is, it, you can set yourself apart so quickly and so easily by doing this.
1: I agree. Yeah, Um, yeah. and and what's lovely about it is it's a very connecting thing because what I personally Mm -hmm. find is that the whole business of selling on Amazon, the way I was initially taught, was very analytical and cold, and Mm -hmm. it didn't excite me, and I didn't find that passionate. Now, I'm not that passionate about physical products, and I'm honest about that. Some people really are, and they really don't like talking to people. I'm a people person. Obviously, that's why I've chosen to do interactive podcasts, and why I was very delighted when you wanted to do an interactive podcast with me. You just need to find people that are interactive type people, and then the people that Beaver or A quietly and make products and hate people can do that and and you need both aspects to your business and it's not always going to be the same business partner or or employee if it's a bigger company that does that if you are an interactive person embrace that because that is a huge competitive advantage most people don't do it and here's the reason why this is particularly important amazon is a, a sort of double whammy for anyone who wants to sell there. amazon amazon's going to nick your private label product ideas and the chinese sellers are going to try and out compete you guess what they're both engineering type cultures Amazon's mm-hmm. an engineering-driven culture. Mm-hmm. If they ever, if you ever sell to them directly at Vendor Central, what they generally do is take a beautiful listing with nine images, make it too boring on white images, make the bullet points horrible. They are terrible at selling. Weird thing to say. It's an engineering mm-hmm. culture. The same with the Chinese. So mm-hmm. if you have that marketing ability to connect to people, you mm-hmm. are bringing an element that neither Amazon nor the Chinese mighty factories mm-hmm. are very good at and is not in their DNA. So that's yeah. why it's even more important on the Amazon platform.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is an interesting thing, isn't it? I would say they're geniuses at structured selling through yes. algorithmic reference and referral and traffic to product. But to your point, copywriting, photography, and the nuances of what you might consider person to person, maybe as a, that's where you have a standout opportunity as a thoughtful seller. Yeah,
1: I think like Google, and they're both search engines, effectively, they are geniuses yeah. at relevance. But yeah. relevance is one thing. But if, if I say to you, I've got the exact solution to your product... And and you say, Great, sell it to me. So here it is, it's a pen, it writes stuff. That's not very compelling, is it? And that's more or less if you give Amazon your listing, literally, because I know so many people who've sold their products direct to Amazon, having mm-hmm. sold them as third party sellers, and Amazon just destroys the value in the own listing that they themselves have taken over. It's wow. insane. It's like the matrix, like the, the robots cannot compute how the humans work. It really does seem to work that way. It's strange how true that is. Yeah. Amazon's own, if you go look at some of the biggest brands on Amazon and Amazon's own listings and compare them to the private label feisty sellers, there is an yeah. unsubtle difference. It's quite weird, but it's true, which is a wow. great opportunity for us. That is still an yeah. opportunity. Weirdly, I don't know why that is. I don't know why they haven't improved on it. Maybe it's because they got mm. 500 million product lines to deal with. Could be, but it just is still an opportunity, which is the good news. It really
0: is good news. Wow. That tees up the seventh principle, I think, ideally for us. So talk to us about your seventh principle and and walk us through it. Sure. The seventh
1: principle is really understand search intent, which absolutely ties into talking to people. Who's the person in the pain? A keyword in itself is... Obviously, keyword research is important, but it's not enough in itself now. What you need to obsessively try to understand isn't to spend hours and hours with Jungle Scout or whatever looking at keywords, Is to understand who is behind that keyword and why did they type it in? What do they have in their mind? And they may have been quite vague what they had in their mind, but that is also important to know. Are they very precise about what they want? Are they still in discovery stage, almost like the Google kind of searcher, but open to buying? You know, Where are they at in that journey, et cetera, et cetera. One way of putting this simply is, is one of my uh, Must My members, Ashley Pierce, who, of course, you met in the, the group the other week. And he said, a niche is a set of keywords plus intent, which is a really nice way of making it neat and sort of Amazon friendly, but still precise, which is to say, you must understand the intent. And again, you need to... To understand that link between the person and the pain we've talked about and the keywords yeah. they type in. And once you've got that, then you really understand what's driving marketplaces, I think.
0: I, I totally love this one. And it to me, it ties into understanding the trends and what people are doing with the products and um, what's driving their interest and enthusiasm for it. This is a really interesting thing to do. And again, it ties right back into asking the customer, staying in connection to the customer, learning about what they're doing, seeing what's happening. And you you can do this types of research, even as I guess you could say as a stalker, (laughs) without directly talking to people. One of the simplest ways is just to camp on hashtags on Instagram, or on social media platforms, where you just look to see or be in groups, uh, look to see what people are really investing time and energy on as it relates to their intention and interest with specific products. And really, subreddits are great for this. If you try to research something and you're not understanding the mind of the consumer, go to a subreddit, or if you're not familiar, go to Reddit and look for subreddits, which are subcategories, and really start to you know type in questions and see what many people have already shared as insights and answers. And you'll start to really get into people's intent and what they're trying to do. It's so fascinating because when you look at data, you can see that obviously people will use a hundred different or 500 different phrases when they're searching for things and looking for things. And they're all slightly different, but they're all trying to find, ultimately, they're looking for solutions. And it's just a matchmaking exercise to really figure out what are they trying to achieve? And is my product positioned in such a way that it's successful to be seen as a solution to their problem? Yeah, I love this one.
1: It's fascinating work. I just want to say a couple of things. One other obvious place when you're talking about questions specifically is Quora. Very useful place. Very underused. It's very rarely discussed by Amazon sellers for some reason, which obviously is a kind of question-driven quasi-social media channel, a bit like subreddits. The other thing to say, there is you just put your finger on something incredibly important I want to just address for a second. People use like 500 phrases to more or less search for the same thing. Now, that's so important to know because Mm -hmm. just because you can rank number one, for keywords one through 10 and there and there are 480 odd other keywords which you aren't ranking for does not mean you own a niche <laughs> so the definition of a niche is really hard to do cleanly but here's one example of one way of doing it again richard kosh the genius of the star principle amongst other things says this if you keep seeing the same competitors turning up you're probably in the same niche as them for example is there a niche called yellow sports cars No, there is a subset of people who shop for sports cars who want yellow ones but if you put yellow sports cars or sports cars into google you'll find the same people come up with ferrari Mm. tesla whoever it is whereas Mm. smart car is a much smaller niche and you'll find smart cars and two or three other ones the names of which don't get to me right now will turn up so that's a different niche and you can tell because the competition is different so that's a good sort of rule of thumb And really, uh, it's no good fooling yourself that just because some keywords seem to be in your favor that you own a niche or that Mm -hmm. you dominate a niche, you need Mm -hmm. to have a healthy set of keywords that have a similar intent behind them. Hence, you cannot really do this work unless you understand the consumer in the end. So just wanted
0: to to really underscore what you were just saying there. Yeah, Great point. I love that one. Okay, so principle eight is going to take us in a slightly different direction. We're going to pivot into (laughs) not the necessarily customer-facing sales side, but more the back end operation so let's talk about principle 8 what do you got for us
1: yeah so principle 8 is integrate savvy sourcing and the the sub title if you like is moqs jump scaling scaling is something everyone obsesses about from day one normally in my experience of people who've been shall we say brainwashed is the word i'm trying to avoid saying some amazon course about you can go on amazon and you can sell ten thousand dollars a month very quickly yes you can that doesn't mean you're making profit though. (laughs) and really people obsess about scaling when they haven't started yet and i think um, that's another principle that i'm going to talk about um separately really but the main thing with sourcing as a part of your market choice as opposed to separate thing, is if you can start to focus on, you don't have to do this, but the more you can layer these principles on top of each other, the more likely you are to succeed and succeed well and make lots of profit for yourself. And if you can start focusing on the sorts of products that will not really be well made by the Chinese factories en masse, But, for example, the other day I was talking to Conak Ogre, who is uh, of Indian origin. He now lives in London, but he's very connected with rural handmakers in Indian subcontinent and and other countries around that area. And there are certain products there that you would not source in China because anything that goes on or in your body, as we say, in the Amazon world generally is not to be sourced from China because people don't including Chinese. Mm -hmm. People do not trust the Chinese factories to make safe, consumable goods. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was talking about a customer of his who's um, making yaks milk in the Himalayas, in Nepal, and they're doing incredible (laughs) numbers on Amazon,
0: incredible numbers.
1: Now that is not something I would source from China. If it's on Alibaba, probably it's a bit of a mistake. Uh So that is the sort of thing that if you start off by thinking about those kinds of product areas, and then think about whether that serves a community, and it's underserved community, and then look on Amazon, that's sort of when you're really cooking with gas because then you've Mm -hmm. got two competitive advantages potentially one is you're sourcing in a place that's hard for other people to find Mm -hmm. like who's going to find a Nepalese farm (laughs) easily and duplicate and make mass and produce out of plastic that's not going to happen and so i think this is a very recent trend that i think could be really big in 2021 that finding sort of small sources that are not easy to scale actually is a huge competitive advantage believe it or not it creates problems but if you can solve those problems, then you are ahead of everyone else who's looking on Alibaba the whole time.
0: This is such a powerful opportunity space. I, another example that's almost exactly like what you just shared was um, met some wonderful folks at a conference who are from Northern California. And one of the areas there is very intensive olive uh, tree, and olive orchards, very successful. And as you might suspect in that kind of situation, there are a lot of farms that have their own uh, products that they've made. And they have contests and they have award-winning olive oil and extra virgin olive oil and all the associated product. And so going to the farmer's market there, going to the shows there, the contests, what they quickly realized was that there were some regional powerhouse makers that had no clue how to sell online. And it became very simple for them to just say, could you make a private label version for us with our label, our bottles, that in your facility, and just deliver it to us? And they, of course, said, sure. They got it sorted out with the MOQ, minimum order quantity. And they started putting it right into Amazon. And wouldn't they just scaled? Because it was, to your point, sourced especially, like a specialty product regionally, and They took it worldwide with uh, selling on Amazon. That can happen literally everywhere around the world in an incredible number of unique categories. It's not just food. There are other things to your point with the handmade goods from India, but there there are just so many opportunities that are local or regional that can go global. And if you're in the middle of that, you've got a huge opportunity. And uh, that's an exciting sourcing strategy. This is so
1: fascinating what you're just saying is exploding this idea even bigger than I thought, because regional can, of course, mean, especially in the States where you have such a big agricultural uh, community and so much incredible land usage, which in the UK probably died out in the 19th century because we Mm urbanised so quickly here. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a tiny, crowded place. There's probably, for me, olive olive oil produced at sort of handmade award-winning level. Sounds like an uh, Italian thing in, in Europe, but it's the same mm-hmm. kind of idea, but it can be so it can be anywhere in the world, but that local becoming right. online is, is an amazing thing. And the second thing he said really is about the fact that you can get a private label version of a product by a, a one-to-one relationship between you and a business owner. Okay. That's so different from you and you're a small fish to one particular factory in China. And in China, the factories are organized into cities that have mm-hmm. the one product. So you've got Toilet City, which has a million, two million, five million people, where they have toilets and maybe wash basins if you're lucky. And that's all they make. And therefore, Factory One makes trust to- toilet. Based according to your specifications your wonderful mm-hmm. design guess what all the other factors are going to copy it traditionally and and still mm-hmm. that is a thing sadly and that was one of the, the things the american regime was very h- heads up about completely accurately i think from my experience is that the intellectual property theft in in china you bypass all of that if you have that one-to-one respectful unique relationship so that's so powerful yeah, I find that incredibly exciting, having yeah. been the person shopping on Alibaba, which is so miserable ex- experience. That's yeah. just, I think there's so much this next year. I'm so excited about this opportunity. Yeah. I think this is this is potentially revolutionary for, for Amazon sellers because it completely changes the dynamics of the relationship between you and your supplier, which is yeah. so powerful.
0: Now, I would say just as a final thought on this one, if you have a choice between booting up your laptop and looking on Alibaba or going down to the local farmer's market and spending it. Yeah three hours walking around from booth to booth, I would spend the three hours at the farmer's market. Thanks
1: for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.